So you guys know this story, right? You find a bottle on the beach, find a lamp somewhere and some sand on the desert, and you rub it, and a genie comes out. It's the most ridiculous fantasy story, but it's so fun to think about because as soon as that genie comes out, you know what's about to happen, right? You're not getting one wish. You're not getting two wishes. You're getting three wishes. And that's pretty cool, but then there's this pressure that mounts real, real fast because you don't want to mess that up. Like, you only get three wishes, and you don't want to ruin it. You, like, you've heard stories about people messing that up. And even though the stories are also ridiculous, you've heard those stories, and so you're like, oh, this, there's a lot of pressure. In fact, I don't know if you've heard this story, but Ryan and Nick and Kai, one time they were on a fishing trip, and they sank their boat, as you would expect. And <laughs> they swam to this deserted island. And they were out there in the middle of nowhere, I mean, literally, and like no hope of being rescued. Their phones went down with the boat, everything. They're, they're in trouble. But Ryan was looking around the island, and he found this bottle behind this tree, and he rubbed the bottle, and it was crazy, y'all. A genie came out. And the genie's like, well, you know, I'm supposed to give you three wishes, but there's three of y'all, and you all look like you could need at least one, and so I'm going to give each of you one wish. I'll let you go first because you found the bottle. Ryan looked around. He's like, this is easy. I wish I was back with my family, and he disappeared. And the genie looked at Nick said, you go next. And Nick looked around. He's like, well, I saw what happened with Ryan. Sounds good to me. I wish I was back with my family, and Nick disappeared. And then the genie turned to Kai and Kai looked around before he was even thinking about it. He just said, man, it's kind of lonely around here. I wish Nick and Ryan were still here. <laughs> and that story's ridiculous. But because you know Kai, you know it probably sounds true, right? <laughs> sounds exactly what Kai would do. And those stories are crazy. Like, please don't, you know that God is not a genie. God's not even like a genie. He's not waiting around our beck and call, like if you do the magic potion, like do the certain thing that he's going to show up and give you three wishes or anything. Like there's nothing about that part of the story that we're talking about today. But here's the deal. God has given us this thing called prayer. And prayer has one aspect of it that I think we can like connect it to that story. And, and here's what it is. When the Bible talks about prayer, the Bible says some really, really interesting things about prayer, some amazing things about prayer. The Bible talks about prayer, and James says, you have not because you ask not. You, you don't have that because you haven't asked for it. We're talking about prayer. Jesus said a lot of things about prayer. Most often the theme is something like this. Whatever you ask in my name, according to my will, I'll give it to you. It will be done for you. At one point he said, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Prayer, the Bible gives us this picture of a God who really wants us to pray, who wants us to ask him for things, and who really wants to answer our prayers. That's crazy. That's amazing. It's, it's mind-blowing if you stop and think about it. But our God who's waiting for us to ask him for stuff so that he can give us stuff. So what do you pray for? What, what do you and I really pray for? If this is the picture that we have of a God who wants us to pray, he wants us to come to him, he wants us to present our needs to him, and he wants to answer those requests, what do you pray for? And if we're honest, what we pray for is usually right stuff, stuff that's right in front of us, the temporal, the physical, the tangible. We pray for safety all the time. We pray for health. 
We pray for health for us, for our family, for our kids, for our, our people. We're like, we, we hear a prayer request, and we're like, oh, I, yeah, let me think if I know any sick people, right? That's what we pray for, the health and safety of people. We pray for guidance. I got a decision that's coming up. I need direction. I need to know if this is the right thing to do. Should I take this job? Should I not? Should I go to this college? Like, whatever. We pray for these things that are right in front of us all the time, just the physical, the temporal, the tangible, that kind of stuff. We pray for things that we need. We pray for things that we want. We pray for things that we feel like we deserve. That's what we pray for. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for that. God wants us to present all of our requests to him. But here's what we see in Philippians, and we really see it in a lot of places. When Paul prays for his people, and that's what he's doing. He's praying for his people in Philippi, and he loves these people. And Paul loved to pray for his churches. I mean, you see him start a lot of his letters with this prayer. Like, here's what I'm praying for you, church at Ephesus. Here's what I'm praying for you, church at Philippi. He loves to pray for his people. And Paul hardly ever, if ever, prays for physical, temporal things right in front of him. He always prays spiritual things. He always prays ultimate things. He prays deep things. I want you to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. I want you to understand how wide and high and deep God's love is. This is the things that Paul prays for his people. And we can learn so much for that. We can learn a little bit how we're supposed to pray. If you, if you sometimes struggle, like, I don't know what to pray, I don't know how to pray, you can pick up Philippians 1, 9 through 11 and just pray that. Pray that for your people. Pray that for the people that God has put in your life. Pray that for your family. Pray that for your church. Pray that for your community group. You can just pray scripture if you're struggling with, I don't know exactly what to pray. We can learn a lot about how to pray from watching and learning, seeing Paul pray. But we can also like, see that we're the recipients of this too. Paul's praying for his church in Philippi, but indirectly because this is, became part of God's word, like he's praying for us. He's praying for us as a church. And we can learn a lot from that about how we should pray and what we should pray for and how we respond to that. But we're going to walk through this prayer. We're going to look at word for word exactly what Paul is praying for this church and how he's praying for us. But before that, I, I don't want us to skip verse 8. I want you to look at verse 8. For God is my witness, Paul says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now you remember, Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's in chains. He, he's planted the church in Philippi on one of his missionary journeys, and he's writing this letter. And what we saw last week was he has a lot of affection for these people. He really loved this church. He, he has so much joy when he thinks about the people of the church in Philippi. And so verse 8 kind of connects what he said last week with where he's going in this prayer. And he says this, I yearn for you all. He doesn't have the ability right now, the freedom to get up and go visit the church in Philippi. And so as he's thinking about them and he's thinking about his separation, he expresses this longing. I wish I was with them. I want to be with them. I long to be present with my people. And I don't want to skip over that and jump into the prayer before we talk about that that should be the norm. That's how it ought to feel. It ought to feel when we're not with this people that we long to be back with this people, that we yearn to be. Like, this is what a church is. It's the gathering of the people of God. It's the assembling of God's people. And as the people of God, we're, we're not here all the time. We understand that. Like, nobody gets a gold star perfect attendance around here. Like, the, our culture has crept into our lives like crazy. Nothing's sacred anymore. Sunday mornings aren't sacred. Wednesdays aren't sacred. We know that. We get that. But when you have to be away, 
your schedule takes you away or some activity takes you away, like here's what we want to see. We want to see a longing and a yearning. I can't wait to get back with my people, with the people that God has put me with. So let me, let me just, let's make this really real. Look around right now. No, I mean look around. These are your people. Make some awkward eye contact real fast. Do the head nod. Like these, these are your people. If you're a guest, just let me tell you right now, we don't do this all the time, okay? I know that was really awkward. You're like, I need to check my phone. No, like <laughs> just know that when I grew up in church, like the church I grew up in, the First Baptist Church of Angleton, Texas, home of the Wildcats, Purple and White, fight, fight, fight. Like at the end of every service, the whole church, we stood up and we held hands all the way across the church. Everybody was connected to each other, and then we sang a song about being in the family of God. I mean, we were trying to get visitors to leave, basically, in our church. <laughs> so I'm not trying to make you feel awkward, but I'm, I, you look around and go, I mean, these are my people. I should long to be with these people. When I'm not with these people, I, I can't wait to get back with these people. And, and our church is growing, and that's a really, really cool thing that God is doing. And so you don't know everybody in here. You're looking around, and you're like, I've never seen that person in my life. And that's fine, but you ought to know somebody. That, that's one of our goals. One of our big picture goals is that you get connected to your people here that are going to do life with you. They're going to be with you through thick and thin, through all the things. And that when you're not with your people, you have a longing to be back with them. I'm not talking about guilt and shame. You should feel bad about No, I'm talking about when I'm not here because of whatever reason, I can't wait to get back because I need these people in my life. And, and that's when it really starts to make sense because you realize, I really do. I really do need people in my life. And when you get there, you take one more step and you realize that someone here needs you. Someone here needs you in their life. Someone needs to see you here on a Sunday singing God's word, studying God's word. Someone needs to see that. You need this people, we need each other, and somebody needs you. And so that is this longing that Paul expresses here. I yearn for you. I wish I could be with you. I know it's crazy to even think about, but can you imagine like something happening in our world that took away our ability to gather together? Sounds absurd, doesn't it? You go back a couple of years and you're like, that'll never happen. Don't forget that feeling. Don't forget when this was taken away. Because we had a longing. We, we, we wanted to get back and gather with God's people. We're like, you know, this is essential. Don't forget that. It's so easy to forget that, to have this longing, to, to value this, like, I need my people. I need God's people around me all the time. And I love the fact that we have uh, live streaming now. I love the fact that that technology and that team, our camera people, our media team, they do a great job with that. And so if you can't be here for some reason, you know, you're traveling or you got sick people at your home or you're sick and you can't be here, that's great. I'm glad that you can tune in. But, like, I hope that you understand that that's not what the goal is. The goal is for you to be in this room looking around, seeing God's people. So we, w we want you to be here. We want you to come together. And we want this longing to exist in all of us. Man, I, I, I've been away for a while. And I need to get back with my people. And you come in this place, man, there's open arms here. That's what this place is filled with. And so don't skip over that. Because here's what I think this does. His, his yearning and his longing, it informs his prayer. All he said is how much he loves this group. All he said so far is how much he values and treasures the relationships that he has with the church in Philippi. And so he's going to pray for them. And you know he's going to pray for the best thing. 
He loves them so much, he's going to pray great things for them. He's going to pray ultimate things for them. And so let's walk through his prayer and see Paul, who loves this church so much, what he's going to pray for as he prays for them. And so here it is. Paul prays, and this is where it starts. This is really the the main prayer request here. He prays that that we or they will abound in love. Look at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He's praying for their love to grow. When Paul starts his prayer, all the things he could wish for, all the things that he could ask for, all the temporal things, he says, you know what? I'm going to pray for ultimate things. I'm going to pray for their love to grow. I'm going to pray that their love will abound, that it will grow more and more in them, and then it will abound so much it will spill over and flow into everyone else. He's praying for love for God and a love for each other because he's talking to a church. I want your love for God to grow, and I want it to spill over and become a love for everyone in this body and that to grow and grow and grow. Now, he's praying for love that's a high view of love. When Paul prays and he's talking about love, he's talking about this Christ-like love. And so it's a sacrificial love. It's a, it's a pouring out love. It's a giving kind of love. And so that's the kind of love that Paul is praying for. It's not a receiving of love. It's not a feeling of love. That's a part of it. That's a byproduct. But what he's praying is that we'll grow in our ability to love by giving love. Dennis Johnson in his commentary on Philippians said it this way. So when Paul prays that God will give his friends the heart to go on loving and to grow in loving, abounding more and more, he's talking not about our getting, not even about our sharing. He's talking about our giving and then giving even more. This capacity to love is God's gift to us, but it's a costly gift to receive because it involves investing your heart and hands in meeting others' true needs whether or not they respond with emotional payback. I'm going to read that last part again because it needs to sink in. Here's what this love looks like. Meeting others' true needs, whether or not they respond with emotional payback. The love that he's wanting to grow in us, see grow in us, is an unconditional love. It's giving even if nothing comes back. It's giving even if there's no thank you. It's giving if it's not received. It's giving, it's pouring out. It's a Christ-like love. That's what he wants to see grow in us. That's what he wants to see us grow in. That's the ultimate thing he's praying. I want your love to abound. I want your love to keep on growing more and more and more. And it's this self-sacrificing, giving, costly unconditional love that he's calling us to. And so he's going to give us a couple ways that this plays out. He's going to give us some specifics about how this love grows in us. And what what you see at the end of verse 9 is he says, your love may abound more and more, and he says, with knowledge and all discernment or depth of insight. That what he wants to see happen is for our love to grow in two specific areas. Knowledge is the first one. And this knowledge is basically understanding, this truth of understanding who God is and what he's done for us. That what Paul is really praying is that we'll continue to lean in and press in and pursue God and we'll continue to get to know God more and more and more. That's why we gather together so we can know God through his word. And as we get to know him, we're going to see how much he loves us and it's going to produce love in us. The more you get to know God, the more you see what Jesus has done for us. The more you begin to understand his character and 
his qualities and his glory and all the things about God, the more we understand God, the more we understand how much he loves us. The more we begin to see that. And, and here's what happens. We, we begin to love him more and more. The more I get to know God, the more I love him. The more I get to know God, the more I see how much he's loved me and I, re I respond in love. The more I get to know God, the more I see this amazing sacrifice and it just, it's a response to him. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. We didn't love because it was our idea or we thought that was a great thing to do. We love because he loved us. And the more you get to know God, the more you'll find that you love him. That's the beauty of this whole thing. That's, when a relationship works that way, it's great. But here's the deal. Flip it on the other side. God loves us, and he knows us. I mean, if you get to know God, you're only going to see the greatness of God, and you're going to see, wow, he is so amazing, I'm going to love him more. <laughs> God sees everything about us, and he loves us anyway. He pursued us even when we were sinners, even when we rebelled, even when we turned our back and we said, I don't need you in my life, and we walked away from him, we, we, we rebelled and, and completely revolted against him. God pursued us in that moment, that God loves us even though he knows every single thing that we've done. And I just thought about that, and I thought about how it's Mother's Day. It's so perfect for Mother's Day. Because mothers are maybe the best picture that we have of that kind of love in this world. I mean, they may be the best expression of that kind of unconditional love. Because, man, when you're born and you're a baby and, and your mom is holding you in her arms like this, I mean, you're perfect. It's amazing. Like, everybody says that. Look at that baby. That's perfect. She's perfect. He's perfect. I mean, every mom thinks that. And then that baby begins to grow and develop, and then sooner or later that baby begins to actually interact with other humans, and you realize that baby is wicked. <laughs> they all are. They're evil. They're professional sinners. They don't even have to be taught to rebel and turn away and not do what they're supposed to do. And here's what happens. Mothers, they see all that develop, and they just keep on loving. They see you go from this perfect little infant to a rebellious, obstinate little kid, and they just keep on loving. Mothers are this picture of what it looks like to know everything about you, and they love you anyway. That's why we celebrate them today. That's why you should be celebrating them today, because they love you anyway. In fact, I'll take it a step further. Some of you are old enough to know that your mom would love you even if she knew all the things that you've kept from her. Even the things that your dad looked at you and said, don't tell mom. Don't ever tell mom this. <laughs> if she knew every story that you've hidden, she <laughs> would still love you. That doesn't mean today at lunch is a good time to tell those stories, all right? Keep it for a little while longer. But just know, she loves you anyway. And that's the picture that we have of this love that God has for us. He knows all of it. Every single piece of dirt. And he loved us anyway. John, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love. This is how you know what love is. This is the picture of it. This is the definition. You'll never see a better version of love than this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This knowledge of his love for us, here's what you see. Jesus laying his life down for us. 
We rebelled against him, turned our backs on him, and he came and died in our place. He took the punishment that we should have had to take. He paid the penalty for our sin that we should have had to pay. He brought us back into a right relationship with God, and we didn't have any chance of doing that on our own. He loved us anyway. He loved us in spite of us. He loved us by pursuing us. Even while we were sinners, God demonstrates his love for us and that Jesus died for our sin. And when you see that love, when you get this knowledge, you begin to understand and see the depth of this love, just a glimpse of it, it starts producing in you a love for God, and then it starts spilling over and flowing into the people around you and begin to love other people. And you see that he laid down his life for us, so we will lay down our lives for each other, that we'll sacrifice and we'll give and we'll pour ourselves out. Why? Because of what he did for us. That's the motivation. That's the, that's the power. That's all of it comes from that gospel story. And so that is the knowledge that Paul, I think, is praying for us, that will abound in our understanding of who God is and how much he loves us, and it will produce more and more love for him and for others in us. But he doesn't just say knowledge. He also says with all discernment. And it's almost like there's two different sides of this thing. Knowledge is understanding and it's truth. And discernment is more practical, and it's the how-to. The, the word here that is translated discernment, depth of insight, it's basically knowing how to show that love. And so he's kind of saying this, hey, I want you to grow in your understanding of God's love, and that will produce love in you. And I also want you to grow in your discernment so that you'll know how to show love to others. You'll know how to really meet needs. Sometimes you'll know how to speak truth to each other in love, even if it hurts. Sometimes you'll know how to walk with people in love and, and accountability. Sometimes you'll know when to sit with people when they're in, in pain and suffering. Like, I want you to know how to show that love. And so I want you to grow in your knowledge of God's love, and I want you to grow in your ability to show it. Knowledge and discernment, both sides of this thing. So that's his prayer, that we'll abound in love. And then he starts showing you what happens when you do that. When God starts doing this in us, he shows us that we will approve what is excellent. Look at what he says. So that we will approve what is excellent. Verse 10. So as you abound in love, as your, as your knowledge of God's love grows and you begin to love others, it begins to grow in you and flow to others, you begin to approve in your life what is excellent. Now that phrase, approve what is excellent, is kind of weird to us, but it was, basically means that you begin to test and see that God's way is best. You, you see how much he loves you, and then you begin to trust him more with every area of your life, and you begin to follow him and surrender to him and submit to him, and then you find out, wow, this is what I was looking for all along. Prove what is excellent. He, Paul is praying ultimate things for them. He's praying they'll find the ultimate path, the best path, the greatest path that they could ever find, the only one that leads to security and significance and purpose and meaning and all those things. And he's praying that you'll find that, and you'll find that when you grow in your love, your understanding of how much he loves you makes you trust him and follow him in all these other areas. So he's not necessarily praying for them to... Um, understand between the good and the bad because there's always choices in life like we see choices we see life has is full of choices what he's praying is i want you to discern what's best what's excellent i want you to follow that path and, and for most of us that's that's really where this makes sense because for most of us we, we don't have a real hard time between what's good and bad we, we kind of see the difference <laughs> we all have different stories right we sometimes we we decide to choose the bad and pursue the bad every now and then, but we, we pretty much know the difference between good and bad. It's like, if, like, life has choices like that all the time. If you want to have a pet, 
You can get all, there's all, all kinds of pets you can get. I mean, you can get, a, you can get a reptile, you can get a rodent. It's ridiculous, but you can do that if you want a pet. But the, the choice between good and bad pets is very obvious. You can get a dog or a cat, right? Good or bad. It's very, very clear. It's very obvious which way you want to go with that. Don't, don't email me. I don't, I don't need that. But what if the choice is not between good and bad? What if it's what is between two good things? Like, I, I know I'm going to get a dog, right? But what if the choice is between a Labrador retriever and a golden doodle? All of a sudden, it's like, well, that seems like maybe both good. But one is best. One is excellent. That Labrador, the, the golden doodle, he'll look great on your Instagram. They're fluffy and cute and cuddly, but the labs are better. It's just a fact. I've had them both. I got a golden doodle right now. You can have him if you want. That's totally fine. <laughs> the, the hard choices are between what's good and best. When, when God has a path for you that's the best path for you and the other paths look like they're good, they look like they're going to be okay, they look like they're going to give you what you're looking for, that's when the choices are difficult. That's why Paul is praying that you'll find the excellent path. You'll prove what's excellent. You can test all the paths, and all the paths that look good on the surface, and they seem like they're going to fulfill you and give you purpose and meaning and all those things. In the end, you find out they're all dead ends. You don't approve of those. And if you find that path that God has for you, you understand how much he loves you, and you decide to surrender and pursue him, you find that it's excellent. You find that this is where purpose is found. You find that this is where meaning is found. And guys, here's the deal. So much of our lives, so much of our struggle is the fact that we are struggling with that choice. We don't choose what's excellent. We think something else that looks good on the surface will satisfy us, and it doesn't. And so God is calling us to that path. Part of us gathering together on Sundays is remembering how good God is to us so that we will stay on the path that he wants for us. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. Here's what we sang today. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. So I will sing of the goodness of God. I need to come up in here and hear the people of God sing that truth. Because sometimes on Thursday, it don't feel like it. I need to be reminded that all my life he's been faithful. All my life he's been so, so good. And when I get that and I'm reminded of that and I understand how much he loves me, here's what I say in response. My life is laid down. I surrender now. I give you everything. Why? Because your goodness is running after me. In spite of everything I've done, he's running after us with his goodness and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace, and he's pulling us back. And I need that reminder every single week. I need that reminder every single day. When I don't do that, when I'm, when I'm not gathering with God's people, when I'm not in his word, when I'm not reminding myself of the truth of his goodness, I drift away from that all the time. And I start thinking something else will give me what I'm looking for. And I forget his goodness, and I forget his love, and I forget his greatness, his faithfulness, and I drift away. We all do that. That's why we gather with God's people. That's why we looked at each other awkwardly and said, these are my people. I need you in my life. I need you to remind me that he's always been faithful and his goodness is running after me. That's what we're talking about here, that we will approve what is excellent. You'll test this out and you'll trust him a little bit more. You'll see how much he loves you and you'll trust him a little bit more and you'll surrender and you'll lay down your life and all these things and then you'll approve. 
this is really the best. This is really the way life was supposed to be lived. This is where I find purpose and satisfaction and joy. I didn't know for sure, but when I laid my life down, when I surrendered, when I trusted him, I found it was best. And we trust him when we know how much he loves us. And we have that knowledge and we're growing in that knowledge. So that's his prayer. That we'll abound in love so that we'll approve what is excellent. And then he gives three ways that that plays out in our lives. I want you to see this. Verse 10, so you, you so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So here's the three things. He wants us to be pure, to be blameless, and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So raise your hand if you got those three three things covered. Nice job. I'm out. I'm out of, like, pure? When he's talking about with purity here, he's talking about... a sincerity in our, in our lives that we, our, our lives match what we say on Sundays. So what we do on Sundays matches Wednesday, Friday. It's an inward thought process of like, my thoughts are pure. <laughs> when he says blameless, he's talking about an outward showing of that, that I'm not stumbling into sin so that everybody can see that, and I'm also not causing other people to stumble into sin. So he's talking about the inward purity and the outward blameless living, a life that we're supposed to be living, like this call that Paul has on us, this prayer is for purity and blamelessness. And here's what it looks like, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, kindness, all those things. Like that's what it looks like in our lives. That's the goal for us. Paul's praying this ultimate thing because that's what he wants to see in us. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be blameless. He wants us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So here's the deal. Don't let this discourage you today. Let me tell you why this doesn't discourage you. Number one, we're all on the journey together. It doesn't matter where you are on this journey. you got a place right here with these people where you can learn this, walk this out, struggle together. We can be real. We can be honest. We can be open. Like, It doesn't matter if you're just starting or you've been doing it for a while. Everybody is on the journey together. Paul in Philippians 3 is going to say, oh, not that I've already obtained this, or or I I haven't been made perfect, but I'm pressing on for the goal. And Paul hadn't figured this all out. We're all on the journey. It doesn't matter where you're on the journey. We're all on the journey together. When he says pure and blameless, he says on the day of Christ, that it'll be completed on that day. So we're all just working this out. We're following. We're trusting right now. That's one. Here's the second thing. It's not even up to you. Look at what he says in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that this is the work of Jesus in us. Our job is to trust him more and more. The more we learn about him, the more we see his love, the more we trust him, and his power works through us to accomplish these things in our lives. The journey is led and controlled by him. Last week we saw this, Philippians 1.6. Here's what he says. I'm sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's his work in our, our lives, and he's going to finish it. His goal for us is to be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness, and he's moving us one degree closer to that every single day, and he'll finish it in the end. It's his work. 
So don't be discouraged. He's going to do this through you. One of the other commentators on this passage, J. Alec Mottenier, said, Are we aware that what appears to be a hopeless goal is in reality a guaranteed outcome? Think about that for a second. Pure, blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. I'm out. Seems hopeless. Not even close. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that that's a guaranteed outcome because of Jesus' work in our lives, that he's promised he will complete it. In fact, it's who we already are in Christ, and what, the, what Christianity is doing is it's calling us to be who we already are, to embrace who we already are. Jesus has justified us before God. He has made us right. He has given us his righteousness. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us. And so we have a right standing with God. And because of what Jesus has done, God sees us as pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so God is calling us to just embrace who we are. Every other religion tells you to calls you to be something that you're not and never can be. Jesus says, no, I've already given you this. Just, just live in it. Just trust me. Just walk in this. Watch him transform us. So that's the goal. And Jesus is going to accomplish that we'll bound, accomplish it. He will, we will bound in love so that we'll prove what is excellent. And then he says this, so that our lives will bring glory to God. Look at the very last part of verse 11. That comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That the, all this thing that Paul is praying for is ultimately going to rest on God getting the glory for how our lives are turning out. That God being made to look great and amazing and glorious to the rest of the world because of how we're following him, how we're trusting him. And the, the more we see how much he loves us, it produces love in us for him and for others. We begin to, with knowledge and discernment, show that love to each other. And the world sees that. It's what's supposed to happen. And God gets the glory. Not us, because it's not our work. It's his work. When Jesus was here with his disciples, one of the things he said was, hey, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. The, the whole world will know that you're mine by how you treat each other, by how you love one another. And sometimes I think we think on a low level of that, that we think, okay, so that's, the, that's what identifies us. But you understand it's more than just that. We, we could just do T-shirts if we want to identify. We get Lone Star Threads and make us some shirts. Everybody gets a jersey. I got number 22. I already called it. Like, that's, we're the disciples. No, it's bigger than that. What Jesus is saying there is the whole world's going to see how you treat each other, and they're going to they're want to know me. They're going to know that you're my people, and they're going to want to be my people too. That all the way we treat each other, the way we live this out, the way we trust him, the way we respond to him, is all about showing the world the greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus, and pointing to him. That's what he's praying for. That's what he wants for us. This is this ultimate thing that he wishes for his people and for us, that we would abound in love so that we will approve what is excellent and so that we will bring glory and praise to our God. Let, let's be the people that do that. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for the truth that's in your word. Always timely, always what we need. Always bringing us closer to you. And I thank you that in your word we see who you are and we see what you've done and we see your characteristics, we see your love, we see this overwhelming picture of your love for us. And God, help us to respond to that. Help our understanding of your love to produce love in us for you and for each other. 
and give us the knowledge and discernment to, to show that in practical, real ways as your body here called Cross Point Community Church. And God, I pray for us as a church that our love will abound more and more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I pray that so that you and I, that this body will approve what is excellent, God. That we'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that so that you will get all the glory and all the praise in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.